the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Emerging Markets Equity Podcast. I'm Nick Robinson from the EM Equity Team. In this podcast series, we explore the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets, from key individuals to evolving trends. We seek to answer the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why, that are shaping investment opportunities in the region. In today's episode, what we're planning to explore is the theme of income investing in emerging markets. With interest rates in developed markets as low as they've ever been, the global hunt for yield continues. One thing that I think has been really interesting recently is that central bank policy around the world has begun to diverge. Whilst developed market interest rates seem unlikely to rise in the next couple of years, we've started to see some emerging market central banks already buck the trend and raise rates, I think shining a spotlight on EM as a potential source of additional yield. However, emerging market equities are perhaps less well known for their income generating characteristics. They're often earlier stage companies in higher growth markets, so they're really just using their capital to grow rather than pay it out to fund dividends. So I wanted to explore this theme further to understand better how EM equities as an asset class can be used to generate a sustainable growing income. I'm really delighted today to be joined by my colleague, Matt Williams. Matt has been with the firm for 22 years and is a senior investment director based in London. Amongst Matt's many responsibilities on the team, he runs our EM income funds. So he's extremely well placed to discuss the income landscape. Matt, it's great to have you on. How have you been? I'm good, thanks, Nick. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here and uh, enjoying these markets. There's there's never a dull day in emerging market equities. It's really fun, isn't it? So, um, Matt, being a, an income investor, that must have been pretty hard work during this crisis. As earnings collapsed, companies cut their dividends in order to conserve capital. And I think in some countries, you know, like Turkey, uh, regulators even stopped companies paying out dividends entirely. So it's been a, a pretty torrid time. Can you talk us through how it's been for you the last 18 months or so? Yeah, we saw earnings and, and dividend cuts in 2020 of around 15%. So, so that was a disappointment and a challenge for income investors in, in 2020. One of the facets you typically expect is that higher dividend paying companies would buffer returns in in a down market it's the old adage of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush in other words in periods of uncertainty investors um, are willing to pay more for near term cash flows but governments responded to the to the pandemic with lockdowns and the effect of that was to shut off the the cash flow stream to many traditional businesses and force consumers to to go online. So that was why there was a challenge. And in many ways, that was why it was such an unusual downturn. So what did we do? Well, we thought about the pandemic as a a duration risk. We, We looked at businesses that we're owners in and we thought about how long the pandemic could last for and the extent to which that could create an underlying problem. We had to take one or two actions on the back of that, but in general, we stuck with our views. Yeah, and I think that was a 
I guess, a really interesting point that at the start of the pandemic, yeah, you would have expected the kind of high dividend yielding companies to be quite defensive. But actually, you know, we saw the reverse happen, didn't we? We saw the kind of high tech companies that really benefit from the crisis outperform. And meanwhile, the market really went against uh, dividend yielding companies, which was, which was quite interesting. In terms of you know, what we're seeing at the moment, are we seeing companies now become a bit more relaxed about capital and, and starting to pay out the dividends again or, or do share buybacks? Is, are we seeing the environment normalised to some extent? Yeah, we are, Nick. And in fact, I'd say there's a, a real vibrance in emerging markets today. We, we expect a full recovery in 2021. So that's dividend per share growth of in the order of magnitude of about 20%. The interesting thing in 2020 was that despite weaker earnings, companies were in emerging markets were, were quite quick to cut back on their capex and they reduced inventory levels. So despite the earnings reduction, underlying cash flow generation was quite healthy. So that sets them up well in 2021, now that we have more confidence in the demand outlook. It means that we're seeing companies in a position to raise both their capital investments, but also their their dividends. Great, thanks. And when investors think about emerging markets, they usually don't associate emerging market companies with being big dividend payers. But I think you know, when we look at the opportunity set available to us, you know, some of the best opportunities are in new economy companies which don't really pay anything out. How do you think about getting exposure to, to those types of companies when you're running an income mandate? Yeah, we just don't feel the need to own companies that want to grow at any cost. Part of the income appeal is is getting business owners and management teams to commit to paying a dividend. And we find that by doing that, companies have to then focus on committing to softer aspects of the business, such as customer service, rather than just spending more and more money to gain market share, which inevitably leads to more competition, weaker pricing and put stress on balance sheets. So what we're looking for is profitable growth. And and I have to say, I think emerging markets is such an attractive income market because, well, firstly, so many companies pay a dividend. Over 90% of companies pay a dividend, and that's higher than developed market peers. And about a third of those companies pay what we think of as a a meaningful dividend, um, being over 3%. So there's plenty of opportunity to, to get yield in emerging markets. And if you can combine that with growth as well, with profitable growth, then I think you have a really interesting income proposition? Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, I remember investing in Brazilian companies when I was based there, and they have a regulatory issue where they have to pay out 25% of their profits as as uh, dividends. So you, know, you tend to find that the yields on those companies are, are a little bit higher than, than other companies in the market. 
You know, when you think about income mandates, what are some of the pitfalls to investing in, in higher yielding companies? Are there things that you should be trying to avoid in terms of uh, typical risks? Yes. But when we think about the life cycle of a company, we, we tend to avoid companies that are very early in their growth phase because the, the sales and the cash flow stream isn't established. So there's a riskiness to that ability to pay a dividend. But equally, as companies mature, I think there's an even bigger risk of companies that aren't investing enough to, to sustain the growth. Because then you see companies having to catch up and that tends to lead to big earnings misses and dividend cuts. And as a consequence, we see very large share price declines. So we're very keen to avoid companies that are not investing enough to sustain the business. And the way we try to do that is, is by following the cash flow of the business. And that's a bit like a doctor looking at bloods, you can use the, the bloods to help inform about all the critical organs in the, in the body. And in a similar way, we're following the cash flow to make sure that companies are making optimal decisions around investing and paying out. And it's not that for every company, there'll be different choices. Thanks. And is there a, I mean, it's one of the issues with income investing that kind of being kind of dragged into those markets and sectors that have particularly high yields that may not be the most exciting places to invest so kind of thinking about yeah russia for instance where a lot of companies have pretty high dividend yields i mean is there a risk that you'd be tempted to invest too much in in those kind of markets or sectors i think there can be nick but we're seeing a lot of high dividend opportunity in typically low yielding markets like India. And also we're seeing a lot of dividend growth opportunity. Um, so profitable companies that um, are growing quickly and through the power of compounding, I think offer appealing dividend yield prospects. So just to put a bit of maths on that, if you're paying a, a 2% dividend yield, but you're growing at 20% per annum, then it takes just four years before um, that 2% yield converts into a 4% a yield. So that's the power of compounding. And we don't have to necessarily go to simply the highest dividend paying companies in the riskiest markets to achieve that. There's, there's lots of breadth of income across emerging markets. Does uh, running a higher income mandate have any ESG implications that you've experienced? Um, you know, for example, you, know, you might end up owning more uh, higher yielding companies in the material sector, for instance, where ESG tends to be a bit poorer. So one of the aspects I like about income investing, if we think particularly on the governance side, is that following the cash flow and asking a, a yield of the other owners of the business and of the management team helps to align us more closely with them. And so they have to think in terms of a, a shareholder mindset, but also it tends to take us towards the more profitable um, business models with the more sustainable cash flow streams. 
So that tends to be additive from an overall ESG perspective. But specifically to your your question today around um, the E specifically, we take our role of stewardship and engagement with companies very seriously. And I think there's a very practical point there that we do need to include a, a cost for emissions that perhaps companies haven't included historically. And when we do that, we have to separate between high yielding companies today where we think there'll be extra cost pressures and and therefore cuts to dividends in future. But, but um, also, there are a number of resource sectors where we see plenty of opportunity um, because very simply, as we invest more in green infrastructure, there are critical metals because of their underlying properties that we can't do without. So providing companies are including the right costs for those investments and they're um, allocating their capital in a way that's mitigating um, emission risks, then then we think there's a pragmatism to to investing in those businesses. Thanks, Matt. That's a, a really interesting point. And you know, one of the most hotly debated topics, I think, on our, our team at the moment is the, the outlook for inflation and subsequently what that means for interest rates. How do you think of that in the context of income investing, where you have these future dated cash flows and you need to think about discounting them when you're doing your valuations? Yes. So I think the level of inflation and the type of inflation are really important to the to the discussion here. So, and let me explain what I what I mean by that. Equities tend to be one of the better inflation hedges because company sales tend to trend with inflation. Now, there are different types of inflation, but typically you need higher output to lead to higher prices. So when we think about that, what we're saying is volumes and pricing, and that's the bedrock of cash flow and income generation for companies. In other words, to a point, inflation is a signal of better income levels for companies. But there's a word of caution with that in so much as there's a point at which inflation rises to a level where it can be difficult for companies to pass through those costs. And in a sense, it gets trapped in the business and and negatively affects profitability. So focusing on companies with pricing power is very important. And then the second point is that with rising inflation, it's it's appropriate for interest rates to rise too, because that's the the price of money and it helps to control um, inflation expectations. And, and so that's absolutely fine up until a point, but we reach a point where interest rates start to have a, a contractionary effect on economic growth. And then unfortunately, that's bad for all equities. Okay, well, hopefully we'll end up in the sweet spot in terms of the uh, inflation levels in the future. And, and hopefully the, the companies will have enough pricing power to, 
to pass that through. So that feels like a, a good place to draw this podcast to a close. So thank you very much, Matt, for, for being my guest today. It's been much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been great to join you, Nick. Great. And thanks, everyone, who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for the next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.